0: It's now time to go around the nation in Division Three football. And
1: here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. Thanks, Dave, and welcome back to the podcast, everyone. We appreciate you downloading us and giving us a listen as we talk about week three of the 2015 Division Three football season. This is the Around the Nation podcast for September 21st, 2015 and uh, I know we have to finish talking about Week 3 before we can talk about Week 4, but definitely stick around for the end of the podcast because we have some great matchups coming up next week. But meanwhile, Keith, uh, Week 3 had some big games and a lot of things we need to talk about.
2: Yeah, some some great conference matchups. You know, the the Mayak got underway, and you saw St. John's finally get that uh, Concordia-Moorhead-Cobber off its back. We saw the uh, Ithaca and, and Hobart play in a, in a matchup of great teams in upstate New York, and there was that Tremendous comeback by uh, by Wisconsin Platteville against North Central which shook up the top 25 So it was a pretty good week three and it is going to be a pretty great week for uh, In some conferences the matchups we've been look you look forward to all season are happening next week So uh, yeah, this should be a fun podcast and uh, so should next week
1: Let's talk about that Ithaca Hobart game and, and we'll start with the opinion of a couple of people who saw this game a little more closely uh, We've taken this clip from in the huddle With the two L's, it's H-U-T-T-L-L-E, the Liberty League podcast slash talk show. And here's uh, Jake Asman. He's a guest on that show uh, from Ithaca's broadcast crew. He's talking with the hosts, Frank Rossi and James Baker.
3: Well, I still certainly think, and I think you make a good point, the defense for Ithaca is certainly way ahead of the offense. You know, they return a lot more starters. Ithaca's offense coming into the season starts a brand new quarterback that you guys know, Wolfgang Schaefer. And two of their 11 starters are back. Only one offensive lineman is back. So they have a lot of working pieces on this offense. So I think they're going to get better as the season goes on. I think it's tough to judge them off from yesterday because of how good of a defensive team that Hobart is. And I think it's tough tough to judge them off Union because, as you guys were just saying, you know Union isn't exactly the greatest team. So the test for this offense is you know, going to come when they start getting to Empire A play. But as far as the defense goes, I think you make a good point. This Ithaca defense continues to play well. They play well year after year under defensive coordinator Mark McDonough. So nothing they did yesterday really surprised me. I mean, six turnovers is an enormous amount. But they're capable of you know being very opportunistic on defense, and they're capable of forcing turnovers each game. So through two games, you know I've been impressed with the defense, and I still think the offense is a work in progress. But I will say this about this offense. When they had to make plays yesterday, they were able to do so. Good point. Very good point. James, you've been watching all the Hobart games, obviously, this season. What yeah. surprised you the most about their response or lack of response in this Ithaca game?
0: Yeah, it just seemed like you know they're there was a lot of self-inflicted wounds and, um, you know, I had a concern you know, number one, when I heard that Shane Sweeney was out due to a shoulder in- injury. Um, Tom Sadesky was a, a D two quarterback at Stonehill college in Massachusetts, you know, is a solid pocket passer, but the, the one knock against him, if you look at his stats at Stonehill, is he threw a lot of interceptions, um, I'm not going to put, you know, all the interception sort of fault on Sadesky. I think his offensive line, uh, didn't quite step up to the challenge and and the Ithaca pressure uh, definitely got to them. Um, But yeah, it just never really seemed like Hobart could make that, that one play. There were a couple of drop passes that Brandon shed might've been able to haul in. But you got to credit Ithaca's defense. Their their secondary play was excellent. They really covered uh, the Statesman receiver as well. Took away the running game, which you know has been Hobart's bread and butter for years. This is the second week in a row now that Hobart hasn't rushed for a hundred yards. And you know if you look back about eight seasons, that's only happened about eight times. So um, definitely some red flags with the Hobart offensive line. But, yeah, I mean, got to give the defense credit. They hung in there. They played tough. I think they held Ithaca to 204 total yards. The the Bombers were only 3 of 15 on third down. And, and honestly, I mean, this game probably could have been like a 49 to 6, you know, game if the defense didn't play as good as they did.
2: It sounds like it was a pretty rough defensive game overall. You know, they mentioned the, uh, the 204 total yards for Ithaca. Hobart had just 159, the six turnovers certainly hard to, to win any kind of game um, with the six turnovers. Neither quarterback had much success passing. So I, I think, you know, for us from a national perspective, from the bird's eye view, we were so excited to, to see this game because we didn't have any idea who was going to be strong out of the Empire 8, and we kind of have a little bit better idea now. And you also wonder just with so, so much talent, uh, so much individual talent leaving Hobart last season – with, uh, with with Ali Marpet with um, Tyree Coleman and uh, and DeAndre Smith with those guys being gone how much um, you know they would have back so I, I think for us you know once you step back from the the ugliness or the defensive struggle that this game was it was it was a good result to see because it gives us a little bit of sense of who's going to be strong in, in upstate New York this year.
1: Yeah I guess so Um, and you know knowing that Hobart's not playing with its uh, first string quarterback in that game makes a little bit of difference in my mind uh, but one of the things that I'm just trying to keep in mind out of that is I'm just trying not to get too high on Ithaca yet they have a lot of tough games left um, you know as uh, as Jake uh, pointed out it's a it's a very young offense so expect them to be a, a little inconsistent uh, they were handed I mean they were handed the ball six times and they only got 24 points out of it some of that's on the Hobart defense uh, but I think some of that's on the Ithaca offense as well.
2: Yeah, you know you mentioned that that schedule coming up uh, Ithaca turns right around and plays Alfred who, who's looking uh, good so far and then the schedule gets a, a little easier uh, in the middle but as we know or as we assume right now the Empire there aren't going to be too many easy weeks so uh, yeah th- this doesn't there, there isn't anything sewn up yet but uh, it's a, that's a big early season win for the bombers.
1: Uh, in a week where the top three teams did what they thought they'd do, or we thought they'd do, they won by a combined total of 166-10, to 10. I'm going to pick out a couple of games elsewhere where ranked teams had to work a little harder. I'm thinking specifically of Wesley and of Wartburg. So for Wesley, uh, Wolverine scored 90 seconds into the game, but Christopher Newport did not go away, trailing 24-17 at the half before Wesley went on to win 44-24. Keith, if Christopher Newport, who we, I think, envisioned as the fifth-place team in the NJAC when the season started, if they can keep that game competitive, I'm definitely liking their chances against uh, Montclair State, against Salisbury, and maybe even against Rowan, the other teams ahead
2: of them. Yeah, I don't know about liking their chances. I think um, Christopher Newport can probably stay competitive with them, and, and we, I think that's a, that would have been a fair assumption before the season. Uh Salisbury and, and Rowan looked really good on on Saturday. Montclair State not so much. So I think the N Jack is gonna be pretty similar to how we're talking about the the Empire Eight. Maybe not the depth all the way down to team seven, eight, nine, but but uh, certainly five, six, seven pretty competitive teams. And uh, you know, there's gonna be some games where Christopher Newport is in it. As far as Wesley, I think they they have Maybe not this exact game every season, early in the season, but but a game like this where they you know they, they they struggle, but they're so talented that when they when they bust the game open, uh, you know they can they can struggle for two three quarters and then, and then break a game open pretty easily. So um, it's a good test, and I, I think Christopher Newport and Wesley have played before in the past. Kelchner and, and Coach Dress are familiar with each other, so there probably wasn't a whole lot of surprise there. Uh, on the flip side, you know you look at at the Salisbury State Montclair. Uh, State game I guess they're not Salisbury State anymore but um uh, you look at you know the, the familiarity is not there necessarily between those other teams and uh, and that's why we'll see some some wacky NJAC results this year and then uh, you know Christopher Newport Wesley Frostburg State those teams are all familiar with each other
1: Mike Drass of Wesley uh, coach won his 200th career game he's one ahead of uh, Springfield coach Mike Delong who won game 199 on a Saturday as uh, Springfield defeated Mount Ida 38 to 10 uh, that other game, uh, sixth-ranked Warper goes to Wisconsin. Stout wins 41-33. It has a score that might be a little bit misleading because Stout scored with 56 seconds left to make it an eight-point game. But regardless, Keith, the way I'm looking at it is it's the third time in as many weeks that uh, Warper has beaten a team in less, impressive fashion, in less impressive fashion than it did the same team last year.
2: Yeah, I mean, that game was 35-19 at one point. So, you know, even though the 41-33 final looked close, Ah, uh, because Stout had those those two touchdowns in the final three minutes. I didn't ding them personally, because uh, because they beat a Wyack team, and they've beaten two top half Miac schools now in the early going. And I feel like as a as a top twenty five voter, I have to factor strength of opponents in and look beyond just the final scores. You know, Warburg's really really challenged itself in the early going here.
1: I guess so. I Augsburg isn't guaranteed to be in the top half in the Miac. I mean, that's a nine team conference, and you've got St. John, St. Thomas, Bethel. Concordia and then Gustavus. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So it'd be tough for them to be in the the top half or even in the top five. Um, And I guess for me, I look at Warburg and I just see them not as dominant as last year. Uh, A part of it is because, you know, I have the eyeball test of having seen them against Bethel last year and having seen them against Bethel this year, um, just not as dominant up front definitely not as many weapons in the passing game. Uh they're getting a lot of passes knocked down both by Bethel last week and by Stout this week. Still good enough to win the Iowa Conference, but you know, when you get up to, you know, number 5, number 6, number 7 in the uh, rankings, I'm looking for a team that's going to make a deep playoff run and I don't have that uh I don't have that feeling about Warburg right now.
2: Yeah, but but at the same time they're beating teams, solid teams from solid conferences, you know, and and they're they they've got contemporaries in the poll that haven't played one team as good as the, the worst team that they've played. So
1: Yep, no doubt there. Definitely have, uh, definitely have that going for him. Let's uh, move on to game balls. And I'm going to go to that uh, Loris augustana game where there are a ton of possibilities for game balls. And I'm going to pull out Nick Schulte. This is the guy who was the third-string quarterback when camp started. And now his name is in the Duhawks record book for passing yards, completions, and passing touchdowns. As he went 47 for 64 for 588 yards and 6 TDs in Loris's 56-52 to 52 win versus Augustana.
0: Uh, I think the main thing is just getting it out distributed to the athletes. I mean, by no means am I the best player on the team, obviously, with the, desk, with the depth chart. But, I mean, we have phenomenal guys. You can go down all these guys receiving uh, the ball that I can rely on them for everything. So just being able to get it and then chuck it out to them, let them go out and make play their own plays. I think that's the main thing.
1: By the way, that's the first post game interview clip uh, that we've ever uh, taken using Periscope. So thanks to the Loris Athletic Department and Jim Knapperstech, the Sports Information Director, for doing that stuff. That's great. I have to say, too, Keith, uh, even though Loris has only one win so far, this is a, there's an excitement that this program has definitely lacked in previous years. And uh, putting up these kind of offensive numbers can certainly do that.
2: It feels like that's that's kind of spreading throughout the Midwest. Like every, you know, Albion touched Augustana, now Augustana touched Loris, and Loris played a crazy game against uh, Stout, so we, we were seeing a lot of a lot of big numbers really uh, uh, throughout the Midwest, and uh, it, it is pretty exciting. For my game ball, I'll stay in the mid. Can we do we do we call Wisconsin Midwest? Don't you have a thing about that?
1: Yeah, you're good with that. I'm okay.
2: Okay, I thought was like like the Upper Midwest doesn't want to be known as the Midwest, or maybe it's Ohio that doesn't call itself the Midwest. Anyway, um, tangent. I give my game ball to the, uh, to the entire um, Wisconsin Platteville squad. You know, I sympathize with North Central because I've been on both sides of games like that. And I think if you watch or cover football long enough, you see that game happen from time to time. That game meaning the one where one team either dominates or otherwise builds a big lead. And then the trailing team puts on a frantic rally. And once that boulder starts rolling down the hill, there's no stopping it. The Pioneers were the boulder on Saturday, but not before falling behind 28-7 to the visiting Cardinals early in the fourth quarter. Platteville's next drive nearly stalled on fourth and six, but a roughing the passer penalty kept it alive, and from there it was on. There was also a third and 46 after two sacks and a 15-yard penalty that Platteville converted with a penalty that came with an automatic first down. So by the time I tuned into that game, it was 28-21, and North Central was punting and just trying to get out of Platteville with a win. You probably know what happened from here. Dylan Villauer took it back to the house and, uh, and the defense held the Pioneers scored first in overtime and North central couldn't get anything going when it had the ball star running back who, uh, who had scored early in the game. O'Shane Brown, he scored on a 62 yard run early in the game, but he was out uh, for North central by, by the fourth quarter and that had a big impact on the offense. And I think to a degree, you know, they were just trying to get it, get out of there, run the clock out with a win and they, and they couldn't do it still though. I, I think, um, it was one of those games where Platteville needed everything to go right from a certain point in the fourth quarter, and everything did. And so the game ball is for the Pioneers' never say die attitude. But um, you know, because North Central wins with that three touchdown lead like ninety some odd percentage of the time. But uh, but with Wesley up next, the Cardinals have no time to feel sorry for themselves.
1: Yeah, it looks like you tuned into that game not long after I tuned out. I left after Platteville scored that first touchdown of the comeback because I was ready to move on to the St. John's Concordia-Moorhead game, which was a lot closer and in the closing minutes and 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 uh, similarly crazy. Uh, looking at a team on the rise, on the rise in the top 25, or on the rise trying to get into the top 25, I'm, I'm going to talk about Thomas Moore. Uh, they've been creeping up and up over the first three weeks of the season, and now the Saints have passed Washington and Jefferson in the rankings. W&J has a bye next week while Thomas Moore has Westminster PA to contend with before WJ comes to town. I have to say, I think Thomas Moore is continuing to float up based on that week one win versus St. John Fisher, even though that win kind of gets devalued over the course of the next couple weeks. Crushing Hanover, crushing Teal shouldn't really have an impact on the top 25 voters, but the Saints have outscored their opponents 192 to 19 so far.
2: Yeah, voters sometimes we get wowed by big numbers you look at a team that's in a similar spot in the poll, like Rowan wins 26-3, to and then you see Thomas Moore putting up 50, 60-some-odd points every week. I think that's what's probably happening with Guilford as well. You see the numbers, and, uh, and, and people are voting for them. It happens, and it, it evens out over time. Yeah,
1: I think the one thing that's happening here is that the voters have decided, maybe not each individual one, but collectively the voters have decided that uh, they want to favor Thomas Moore at home in that game over
2: W&J, which is coming up in Week 5. Ah, I think I was on that train last week, if not the week before. Uh, for my riser, I'll go with Ithaca. It's clearly the, the main team to shoot up the poll this week. Yeah, I don't think many voters knew what to do with the Empire 8, but with the non-conference win over Liberty League power in Hobart, you know, there' a little sense of who might be what has emerged. A uh, couple with some of the other results in New York, Cortland State beating St. John Fisher, Alfred hanging on to beat Buffalo State 29-26, and then the, the Utica-Morrisville State game voters are able to solidify their opinions around two or three teams for the time being. Platteville, also a big riser uh, in the poll this week, but I think North Central should have held steady a little bit more than they did, falling from 13 to 22, and I think those are actually the numbers that, that um, the two teams came in ranked on Saturday. North Central was 13, Platteville was was 22, but that's one of those losses that took a ridiculous confluence of events for, for North Central to lose, and I, I came out of that moving Platteville up more than I moved the Cardinals now.
1: Yeah, and I suspect a lot of voters uh, did maybe not the opposite, but I suspect a lot of voters had both Platteville and North Central on their ballot. Probably also both had Ithaca and Hobart on their ballot, and probably just flopped them. And you know that's certainly one way to do it. But maybe not necessarily the best way. Um, So, uh, you know, that's uh, that's how some teams might have uh, fallen a little bit further. Also, you know, not a lot of other teams lost. So there's not as much shake up in the bottom half of the poll and there's been no shake up in the top half of the poll when we talk about teams taking a fall which we'll hear in a second. Uh, We're talking about teams maybe that have just lost a few points here and there. So trying to avoid the obvious responses and teams that will take a fall. But digging into the vote totals, you can see that uh, although John Carroll keeps winning and has remained in the number 10 spot for the past few weeks, their voters' support continues to erode. They've lost 25 points in the poll over the last two weeks which is the same as if every single voter had dropped the blue streaks one spot on their ballot. You might ask why, since they keep winning, but they're not the only team that wins on any given Saturday. And if a team doesn't win in a way that kind of lives up to the voters' expectations, there's a good chance they could get moved around. Our voters are very good at that, and I think that's why our poll is better than the coaches' poll, especially as you get later in the season.
2: Yeah, I really can't emphasize this enough. I'm sure I've trotted this stat out a number of times over the years, but you got 247 teams in D3, so you're twice the size of of Division One. People are that follow both divisions are used to top 25 being, you know, a certain level of quality. Well, ours is like a top 12 and a half in in D1. You really have to be good, um, and we're comparing elite teams with other elite teams. And so, you know, you're you have you're within your rights as a voter. to to take issue with Warburg not blowing teams out, with John Carroll not necessarily blowing teams out. I I happen to think both of them have played some pretty good competition at this point. Um, But, yeah, as far as as, John Carroll taking a fall, I'd certainly back off thinking that they'll challenge Mountain Union at this point, but I wouldn't ding them too much for a solid, if unspectacular, win against Heidelberg. I think for for my team that'll take a fall, I'll stay in New York. Uh, any, anyone harboring thoughts about St. John Fisher just having an off week in week one against Thomas Moore? That's no longer a team getting a look for, for votes. They, they lost 34-17 to Cortland State on Saturday. Morrisville State blew its chance to be taken seriously, and Hobart fell a lot more than I expected. But for, for teams that dominate their conference year after year, like Hobart— like Washington and Jefferson, like uh, Wabash and Wittenberg. The only chance voters have to get a read on them is those big games, and I think those results take on outsized proportions. So we'll see it play out next week with, uh, or, or I guess in maybe a week or two, with Washington Jefferson, Thomas Moore, with Wabash, Wittenberg coming up soon. You know, Hobart can wash the stench of this Ithaca loss off with tough November Liberty League games against St. Lawrence and at Rochester, but no statesmen are looking past next week at Merchant Marine.
1: Heading off the beaten path for a minute for a highlight. I'm not sure if this is a highlight per se, but it's definitely something to keep note of. We're going to have to keep an eye on Marquise Barol's status as the uh, Texas Lutheran running back was taken out of the game after just one third quarter carry on Saturday. Uh, A.J. Salcedo is definitely capable of stepping in and performing well, and he did so versus Louisiana College. But the situation just needs to be monitored going forward. Uh, let's see Barol took the the first uh, handoff in the first series of the second half Slid to the ground after going about 18 yards Went down untouched Day to day is all Texas Lutheran is going to say about his status at the moment But uh, I note that uh, TLU hosts uh, Southwest Assemblies of God this week So I doubt we'll get an answer uh, I'm sure they'll hold him out of this week's
2: game if they can For my off the beaten path highlight Since I watched this intrigued by the 41-34 halftime score The Mass Maritime Main Maritime finish is my highlight First, you have to understand what we're, we're watching here. The maritime schools, they're not recruiting from an endless pool of talent. They're recruiting the type of kids who, who want to go uh, and serve at a maritime school. So, uh, but they, they do have interest in, in beating one another. There's, there's If you count Coast Guard, Merchant Marine, Maine Maritime, SUNY Maritime, Mass Maritime, there's five of them. And uh, they, they all enjoy beating one another. So I'm watching a game at a field that looks like it belongs in a horror movie summer camp. <laughs> There's no audio commentary, although there's great ambient cloud noise, crowd noise, and there's clear video. I, I can't see the game clock on either video angle; they're switching back and forth, but the score is on the screen for the final drive. So I'm, I'm mesmerized by this. Uh, Mass Maritimes down 47-41, but is cruising down the field, clearly about to score the go-ahead touchdown, and they they get inside the, the the 10-yard line. And again, I have no idea how much time is left on the clock, but I know these are like key. Uh, Plays here. Um, quarterback runs out of bounds with, the, with you know it's, instead of getting to the pylon, he realizes he can't turn the corner and goes out of bounds. Uh, stops the clock. They take a snap from uh, from about the three yard line. The throw goes into the end zone. It looks like it's caught, and then all of a sudden you just see like blue storm the field from the the, I guess will be like the lower part of the computer screen from the home sideline, uh, main maritime, you know, I, the, obviously you see the ball screwed out and they had broken up the pass in the end zone and they all just start going wild celebrating on the field. And it's one of those things that I think, you know, because we live in the, the time that we do and we have the D3 football.com scoreboard on Saturdays, you can just kind of click into a random game sometimes and get caught up in it and and just enjoy the pure elation celebration of uh, of some team winning a game that you might not have cared about when you when you clicked onto it but um but it's always so great to see those celebrations obviously you feel bad for, for Massachusetts Maritime but Maine Maritime guys you know kneeling crying on the field it, it's just you know one of those those things that makes you remember how much we love the game.
1: Big game, and uh, the uh, winners, the Mariners, took home the Admirals Cup in the 43rd annual uh, game in which that was uh, contested. And I saw them holding up a trophy, Keith. It looked neither like an admiral nor a cup. It was a trophy with a football player
2: on it. Yeah, yeah. I I remember you pointing that out on Saturday on Twitter, and I got a chuckle out of it.
1: Most surprising result from Saturday? I might have to go with Barry defeating Rhodes 24-0. Uh, There were some pretty high hopes for Rhodes this season, I thought. So just losing to Barry in the first place, let alone getting shut out, is pretty surprising. I will say this, though. uh, Barry is certainly in position to be a program on the upswing this season. And if they continue to draw well to that new on-campus stadium, that can only help a young team. And the home schedule for the Vikings breaks pretty well this year. They play hosts to Wash U, Hendricks, and Center. So a lot of their toughest opponents are at home. And the way the rest of the season has gone, Barry's 43-17 loss to Maryville in Week 1 looks a lot different than it used to. Barry looks a, looks a little better, and Maryville looks a lot better.
2: For my most surprising result, uh, I'll say Salisbury and Montclair State. You know, they played very similar games in close Week 1 losses. Salisbury had that comeback. They lost uh, to Albright. Montclair State uh, couldn't quite get past Delaware Valley. They both had Week 2 off. But, and they were, they were anything but the same on this Saturday. Uh, I really thought this would be a good game between two teams that are vying to be in the mix at the top of the end jack, and it just wasn't. You know, 382 yards rushing for Salisbury, you know, for a lot of teams that would be a shock. For them, it's not a huge shock because, uh, because of, you know, their bread and butter is that dominant triple option football run game. But, but I thought the, the 46-12 margin, this one for the Seagulls, they had an 86-yard touchdown pass. To start the scoring and the number of big plays they hit on both in the running game and in the passing game those were huge surprises and I think I think it just throws the uh what, what, what I thought about the Jack, remember Montclair State 8-2 last season they're 0-2 right now uh, I think that was that was a pretty surprising result uh, I was also a little taken aback by Baldwin Wallace beating Ohio Northern 28-27 two weeks after losing to Bluffton ONU scored on a 16-play drive with eight seconds left in the first half to go into the break tied at 21. They missed a a point after late in the third quarter, and the Yellow Jackets basically held on on defense all fourth quarter and made it stand up.
1: Moving on to the stat of the week, I'm looking uh, back to the Mac, and I'm looking with Albright winning with just 132 yards of total offense, two yards per snap, 66 plays for 132 yards. Uh, just 10 first downs, three of them via, via penalty, and they beat Widener 27-10. to 10. And that's in large part because of the other phases of the game, you know, three phases. Uh, Dante Thomas scored on a fumble return for a touchdown. Uh, Malik Gilmore picked up a blocked punt and returned it for a score as well but aside from Albright's offensive woes you also have to point out here that uh, Widener didn't score its touchdown until starting quarterback Seth Klein threw a TD pass with 40 seconds left in the game so the Widener offense would have had a hard time winning on its own and now these that's two losses for Widener Keith in which uh, the offense just really didn't get it done and uh, let the other team uh you know let the other team win in in the case of uh, Albright with uh, special teams in defense and in the case of Rowan back in week one with just a steady pounding from Whit Marcelin
2: well it's certainly surprising because Widener has been so offensively prolific for the past few seasons now even though they've gone through coaching changes the one thing that's remained constant as they've, they've been strong on offense and, and that right now that's not the case hey
1: Keith is that the yeah. ch- is it a chip Kelly curse
2: Oh wow! Well, that's another offense that's not uh, looking so good right now. So uh, maybe it is, for, for all we know. And obviously, you're making reference to uh, to the little dust up after the Linfield playoff game uh, with Oregon and Pennsylvania connections uh, all over the place with that one. Uh, go listen to our old podcast if you don't get the get the joke.
1: Dust up. That's a good 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 term for it. Dust up.
2: You know, for my stats of the week, you know, I, I can't really settle on one.
1: Do I need to start the timer on this one?
2: I don't think it's quite that bad, but you know, I am going to highlight a couple of games that weren't all that competitive. The, the three independents, you know, D3 has, has coalesced into pretty much all conferences now. and We're down to just three independents, but on Saturday they lost 66-3, 61-0, and 65-0. That's 192-3 to if my math is correct, and you're scoring at home. At halftime of those games, though, the scores were 42-3, 54-0, and 31-0. And that's uh, Whitewater beating Finlandia, uh, Rochester beating Alfred State, and Central playing Maranatha Baptist. You know, I I thought for a minute about what what this means for D3. And I don't think it really makes a statement about teams and conferences being stronger than independents. Um, but, but maybe it's, this is the, the flip side of something that we advocate for regularly on the podcast. We love to see Ithaca and Hobart meet or North Central and Platteville. You know, and it's important for teams to play someone on their levels. And, and for every team that can play with a top team and, and doesn't do that, and they duck them. You know, at least the games like these that that we had on Saturday. And we can't knock Whitewater, Rochester, Central for playing Finlandia, Alfred State, or Maranatha Baptist because a 10th game is better than no game. But, you know, it's hard for independents to find games, especially now that, that 244 of the D3 schools are, are all conferenced up. And so I think it just says something about having – teams having a responsibility to play teams on their level or, or maybe a little bit better. I mean, look at the school's Warburg schedules. Look at Buena Vista or Bethany playing Mount Union. Look at what Thomas Moore and St. John Fisher did. You know. Some of those games still end up as blowouts, but, but I don't know if games that are 54-0 at halftime, as, as Rochester and Alfred State were, yeah, I don't know if that's fun for anyone. You know, could, could Rochester have foreseen that when it took the game? Well, who knows? But I just think there's a flip side to the teams that do schedule the toughest opponents they can find, and it's these mismatches. I got two other quick stats. If, if, if there were a timer going, I guess I'd be I'd be running out of time, but these these ones are fast. Uh, Mount Union allowed just 69 yards on 50 plays against Muskingum. And, uh, and Rowan, 41 minutes, 21 seconds time of possession in their 26-3 win over William Patterson. Think about both those numbers for a second.
1: Those three independents, uh, they came into the season ranked number 236, number 246, and number 247. So um, it, it's hard to find an opponent that's on that level, but I know that uh, oh, they'll almost have a complete round robin, and uh, Finlandia and maranatha Baptist will play a home and home. As you said, it's tough to find those games, especially in October and November once everybody's in their conference schedule. Um, we're going to move on to the uh, best and worst predictions of uh, from Triple Take. This is where we. Um, where we take our medicine for what we uh, predicted that was, uh, wasn't was so great, and then we'll talk about what we did do well. Uh, but the worst prediction, I have to start with Keith picking a game that didn't even take place. Um, Pacific Lutheran did not get its first win this, uh, this week because it didn't play. Um, none of us hit on our top 25 upset prediction, but uh, not for lack of trying. Concordia Moorhead had a two offensive penalties called in the last three plays to sink their last-ditch efforts at taking down eighth-ranked St. John's. Uh, John Carroll took a while to put Heidelberg away, and center beat WashU by 10, but they didn't beat them by 30, which is uh, how they did uh, when those two, two those two teams met last year.
2: Yeah, I, I don't know how that happens where you pick a game that, that isn't being played, although amazingly in triple-take history, that's not the first time that's happened. No, it isn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I think I got so excited about ha- having a, um, a team that I, that I thought was going to bounce back. And, you know, I kind of didn't realize they have to bounce back this particular week you know, or else it doesn't make it such, a good, uh, such a good pick. It was imagine, a really... my, imagine my surprise Saturday on the scoreboard when Trinity, Texas had a score up there, but they weren't playing Pacific Lutheran.
1: It was a really clever pick. You're just a little ahead of your time.
2: Uh, so well, that's my story then. I'll stick to that.
1: You definitely hit on the game of the week, though. I mean, you picked uh, North Central at Wisconsin-Platteville. Um, you know, if you tuned away from it early in the fourth quarter, I'm raising my hand here, uh, I might well have been surprised to find that uh, final score a half hour later.
2: Yeah, it was such a, you know, one of those comebacks. It just happened in, in I don't know, 10, I don't know how much real real time it was, Like probably 30 minutes maybe, but it was, you know, it, it's one of those games, once that ball starts rolling, it, it just happens, and, and North Central just couldn't get out of there quickly enough, and literally they could not end the game quickly enough, and that's how they ended up losing.
1: Uh, I took Widener at Albright as surprisingly close, but in fact it was even more surprisingly not close in the other direction. Uh, Keith's pick of Fitchburg-Framingham could qualify as surprisingly close in a 34-21 win for Framingham, and perhaps even Ohio Wesley and Wittenberg was surprisingly close when you include the fact that uh, the Battling Bishops had a garbage-time touchdown uh, Ryan also predicted that Capital would get its first win, and that Muhlenberg would bounce back from last week's loss uh, against McDaniel. I, that's, I'm, I'm not. I, if we were giving out points, I give a half point for that. Um, and Keith felt that Alfred had a funny name but serious game. So, um, Keith, explain to me what you were trying to say about Alfred.
2: Alfred. I mean, have you ever met an Alfred? It's like, it's like a granddad's name. A but- it is a little bit funny.
1: Or a butler. I got gotcha. you. Okay.
2: That makes Saxonies. sense. Saxons. They're also the Saxons, too. I mean, that's true.
1: Yeah, you go uh, both ways there. Uh, moving on to the lightning round, uh, I got to credit Jay Perkins of warhawkfootball.com dot com for this one. Uh, Whitewater's freshmen led the Warhawks on Saturday in most uh, major statistical categories and a few minor ones as well. Chief among them, rushing yards, passing yards, receiving yards, tackles, tackles for loss, sacks, PITs, field goals, and the like. But not surprising considering that Whitewater's freshman class basically outclassed Finlandia's freshman class in
2: a 66-3 to win.
1: It makes sense. You'd think Whitewater would uh, be able to recruit better freshmen.
2: It's a lot of class going around there. I will say this, though. I, I got a chance to watch uh, Finlandia, and it—, it you know, for a few drives. I won't say I stuck on that one for very long. Um, you know, they look like a, a college football team. I will say that. And and it um, it's going to take some time, I think. But, um, you know, and, and Whitewater, obviously, it's well put together. They're sending starters out there that are juniors and seniors. Guys have been lifting for years and that have been in a program, waited their turn to start. And, they, and then you're playing against people who, you know, would be, some string, I'm, I'm, you know, maybe not second or thirds, who knows what string they would be. They might be gray shirts if they were, uh, I don't know, that's, that's no longer a thing, but, um, well, you know,
1: like, gray shirts is a thing. They just don't practice.
2: They, you know, the, the, I feel like you watch, you look at a team like that and you try to, if you're judging them, not necessarily by the score though, that you're judging them, whether these teams look like they're well coached, look like they have potentially a future. Uh, when those freshmen become juniors, uh, I, I think Finlandia will be okay when they when they start playing teams on their level. It just you know you can't play the number one team in the country and be a virtual expansion startup, brand new program. It, you know you, things are going to go poorly quite obviously.
1: Yeah, I did not watch any of that game on Saturday, having seen Finlandia already. But it, it would be uh, interesting to go back and see you know what kind of progression arc they had over the first two games. The the one thing about Finlandia that I remember is just there was. Um, uh, There was a, a lack of team speed that was evident even against Alma, and to see what that would have turned, uh, what that would have looked like against Whitewater would have been uh, pretty interesting.
2: Yeah, I saw more of the, just the, the the burst off the line, the defensive line. They just couldn't get any push up front, and that you'd expect that from you know, freshmen and younger guys playing against best team in D three.
1: A Lightning round, Trinity, Texas is 3-0. and They have yet to play PLU or Harden-Simmons or Texas Lutheran, but the Tigers are already off to a better start than they had last season when they lost to Howard Payne and lost to Willamette before barely beating Selra State.
2: Not only did they, they do all that, but last year they were 4-6, and, and two of those wins were against Southwestern.
1: Ah, fair point. They do play Southwestern twice this year and Austin College twice this year. Uh, and I believe coming up in the future because the SCAC has just four football programs. They're going to be playing a double round robin all the way through. So, yeah, they're playing Southwestern twice and they're playing Austin twice, but they're not playing Texas Lutheran twice right now. Um, that'll change apparently. Uh, let's see, way out west, last final of the night. Dubuque survived the comeback attempt from Pacific, covering an onside kick with a minute 17 left to win 31 uh, 29. It was a one big play for Pacific to get back into it with an 80 yard touchdown pass on the first play of a drive and then a 68 yard drive on four plays that took just 36 seconds for the second touchdown of the fourth quarter. That's a big win for Dubuque and I think a bit of a surprising loss at home for Pacific, Keith.
2: I would agree. Lightning round answer. See how quick that was.
1: Yeah, it was good. Let's see. Uh, coming up this Saturday, pretty interesting. Uh, Sports Center on the road at St. John's University in Collegeville, Pennsylvania. Um, they're going to be on the air from six to eight central. This is not College Game Day, um, but nonetheless, uh, great exposure for a Division three school.
2: Absolutely, one of the great, great scenes in Division three, Collegeville, Minnesota. Um, and Pat, you're going to get up. Early, are you going to go out there and be in, in college at 6 a.m. Central time?
1: If I had to be there at 6 a.m. Central, I would be leaving the house about 4.30. Um, my Saturdays are pretty long as it is. Uh, I'm not sure how I'm going to actually get onto campus. I, I probably have to allot about an hour and a half just to get from the exit to the field. But I can't imagine being there at 6 a.m. I just uh, I can't do it unless, the, unless St. John's is a place for me to take a nap
2: afterwards. Well, you can watch it on TV. You don't have to go.
1: I can, or I can DVR
2: it and sleep. (laughs) <laughs> brilliant 2015
1: technology man I'm dedicated uh, if nothing else right uh and just one other thing that I noticed uh, in going through I was looking for um I was looking for a contact at Wisconsin Platteville to get me a uh, to get us a nomination for a play of the week clip and I noticed uh although I couldn't find out who the video coordinator was I noticed that Jeff Hand is a defensive assistant coach there this is the guy who was a head coach at Westminster PA head coach at Waynesburg head coach at Benedictine and now he is a uh, not even a coordinator at Wisconsin Platteville. I just found that interesting.
2: Well, it tells you a little bit about how desirable it is to to end up uh, in the WIAC uh, coaching. You know, it's it's steady steady job. It's also steady um, competition. It's, you're in one of the best conferences. You're recruiting good players, and and it's it's really a, a, a solid conference. Not necessarily top to bottom bottom, but I think we're seeing. You know, with Platteville's big win, we've seen a couple other big wins early in the season, it's, uh, it, it's, it's one of the reasons why it always ends up at the top of our rankings.
1: Looking ahead to Week 4, we start Week 4 with a Thursday night game, one that we've waited a long time for between one of the top teams in Division Three, or in this case, the top team in Division Three, and what is expected to be the top team in the NAIA as Wisconsin Whitewater travels to Morningside. Uh, I haven't seen an NAIA poll, but that's the uh, expectation Marion of Indiana lost to Robert Morris of Chicago. If you pay attention to Division Three scores, you'll find that uh, name familiar. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, so expecting a, a new number one this week. Uh morningside started the season with just an impressive a beginning as whitewater has As the mustangs are three and they've outscored opponents by an average of 71 to nine i'll be heading down to the game because it's only a little over four hours for minneapolis and keith um, well i'd love to see whitewater win this game and i'm allowed to root for the d3 team against a non-d3 team uh, I have a little trepidation because Whitewater hasn't really been tested yet, and there's all that changeover from last season to contend with, along with the 24 scholarships. I guess what I'm trying to say is I really wish it had been last year's Warhawk team in this position.
2: Yeah, sure. There's there's no Jake Kummerow. They're, they're less experienced at quarterback, but I think the things that, that make Whitewater what they are are still intact. And, uh, yeah, they're going to have to gear it up for, for this game, and they haven't had to do that against Belhaven or Finlandia. Um, but, you know, they, they still dominant in, in in the trenches, front seven on defense. You know, you don't see guys running free through the secondary. You don't see them fumbling the ball around or making mistakes, bad special teams. You'll see a well-played game, and I think that's probably going to continue um, under Kevin Bullis, even though Lightbold is is now in, in Division One. Uh, You know, as, as far as Morningside, we don't necessarily know what to expect. And while I'm interested in this game, I'm almost – more interested, in, and clearly I'm biased, I'm almost more interested in Whitewater's next game when they play Wisconsin-Platteville, who now looks like a much more interesting team after beating North Central.
1: Oh, what? You're interested in the games that count for playoff uh, consideration, huh?
2: Also, I'm uh, making a habit of, of being one week ahead. <laughs>
1: uh (laughs) nice uh this whitewater morningside game is going to be on espn3 so you know if if that's not something you watch on a regular uh, basis make sure you have access to it through your internet provider because this should be a good one uh and afterwards and and maybe even uh i'm thinking about a halftime uh show on periscope uh i'm picking up the naia guru jason dannily on the way down there and we'll have our reaction to share with everyone maybe a uh, uh a battle of the uh uh, of the uh, website publishers and all that, as uh, uh, Jason Danley's said, a long time covering NAIA football on his uh, various variety of various websites. Uh, let's see, we mentioned Center is going to be at St. John's for the Johnny-Tommy game, and remember, we always try to name these rivalries, leading with the team which won most recently, and that's St. John's which has won the last two. In fact, the road team has won three in a row, so this will be uh, number 12 at number 8 and I think 14,000 people in the stands is a conservative estimate for this rivalry if the weather holds, uh, but that's all the stuff around the game. Keith, um, I'm going to let you break down the entire game yourself.
2: Well, I don't think I have a really great like X's and O's analysis for you. And, and I, you know, in in a different time, I, we've been able to do a lot more prep work on it. But I think, yeah, obviously, you want to see how um, how St. John's defense, uh, Saint, how St. Saint Thomas' defense uh, is able to stop St. John's running game. They've been certainly pretty effective in, as long as Sam Sur has been back there. Um, you know, they've, they've been able to, to get it done on the ground. But, I mean, these, these are the kind of games, and it's – I'm trying to – convey this thought without without using one of the the rivalry game cliches but you just really can't um predict how they'll go they they've gone they've been high scoring low scoring blowouts they've been close games wild finishes and and, th- and this is just since saint thomas has has risen back up uh under glenn caruso and uh, and then now saying you know saint john's kind of dipped down for a year or two there and, and now they're back up as well so i think this is maybe the first time in a while where they're where they're both top 15 teams coming into this game and it's such a huge game uh early in the season uh, I, I mean i you just couldn't be more excited for it and i think it's a it's a great great pick for for sports center to to broadcast almost i'm trying to think you really couldn't pick a better a better place to 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 be on on a saturday for in d3
1: yeah I mean uh, we're, I was talking in another conversation, I think it's on the comments of uh, of a Facebook post about uh, the top rivalries in Division three football. There's no one overarching top rivalry in Division three football like the hope Calvin uh, rivalry is in basketball and that uh, that um, title has to get kind of shared around between the Monon Bell game and Cortica Jug and Amherst Williams, and then St. John St. Thomas is really close there as well. Uh, But part of the reason why I was killing time was I was trying to pull up some of the notes that that, uh, Gene McGivern, the St. Thomas S.I.D., uh, included with their story about the uh, Sports Center uh, the Sports center announcement. So uh, St. John's and St. Thomas first played on Thanksgiving Day in 1901. They've played 83 times in all, 63 years in a row. St. John's leads the all time series 51 31 to 1. And there was one other thing. Oh, in the last five meetings, uh, a missed PAT kick in overtime, a missed field goal as time expired in St. Paul, let the visiting stands. Uh, visiting fans storm the field to celebrate. It's a, it's a, it's a pretty good rivalry. I,
2: uh, I, I have to say that. Look, I won't say it's the best rivalry in D three. In fact, by the way, your list seemed to be leaving someone out there. I'm, I don't know who, but. Um,
1: <laughs> I just I left that for you. It's easy pickings, low hanging fruit. Uh, I, know uh, it, I know you're. I know you're talking it, about it, Guilford Greensboro. So.
2: Right, well, that clearly. Um, look, look, St. John's St. Thomas may not be the best. Rivalry in D three, but it's going to be the best rivalry game that's played in Week four of the season. That is true. I'll give it that.
1: It's it. It definitely is that. It'll be a good place. Like I said, I think it'll be a good show for uh for Sports Center to be at. That'll be uh that'll be fantastic.
2: Yeah, I mean it could set the attendance record. To be honest with you, I think it is the the attendance record. It is it also? Awesome. Tommy Johnny or Johnny Tommy game. I don't know. I don't know which it was then. But it's like sixteen and change. Right? Well,
1: I yeah. I mean, there isn't a record, right? There's not an official record for attendance, but that's the highest recorded one was sixteen four twenty one or something like that, which I think might have been the last time it was in Collegeville because it had been in uh, at St. Thomas two years in a row. It's either like the so that would make it the twenty twelve or possibly the twenty eleven game. Uh, so that's one other game on Saturday. Let's see. Also, uh, how about a showdown for the early lead in the North Coast Athletic Conference? Ninth-ranked uh, Wabash hosts number 15 Wittenberg. Uh, Wabash has looked strong through two games in three weeks, having allowed just three points all season. Wittenberg comes in at 2-0, and not looking as strong after giving up 27 to Capital and 21 to Ohio Wesleyan this week.
2: Yeah, it goes back to that point I made earlier in the podcast. There's certain teams, games where you you know you judge fairly or unfairly as top 25 voters at least, we're going to pretty much judge uh, Wittenberg and Wabash the, the rest of the season on the result of this game. Maybe not so much Wabash because, because they have the Hampton-Sydney result and because they've sort of cleared the bar, I think, of being a team that's just you know stuck playing North Coast teams and then has one good game every year. But but same thing, Washington, Jefferson, Thomas, Moore, and, and Wittenberg, Wabash, you, you you pretty much judge um Put extra weight on this particular result because you know they're not going to get a challenge like this for the rest of their schedule.
1: Oh, let's see. We have another game between ranked teams on Saturday. This one's in Naperville, Illinois. Uh, fifth-ranked Wesley faces number 22 North Central. Um, you know, Keith mentioned in his rundown, O'Shea Brown went out during the fourth quarter at Platteville, so his status is unclear for Saturday. But uh, you know, this is a game that was added to the schedule pretty late. Both of these teams needed a 10th game, and it's going to be a, a that's a, a pretty good matchup to have for game number, well, game number three slash ten. You know what I mean?
2: Look, look, and and this is what I love about both of these programs is that they didn't have to play this game. They they would you know would have been happy to, I guess, have nine, but they they said let's do this one. And now you know to be now that Wesley is in a conference, they don't have to worry about that early season loss messing with their pool B status. You know they could they can they can take a game like this, although they always played games like this. And, and so as North Central, to be quite honest, um, you can take this game. Even if you lose, and North Central, you'd think they're in trouble if they lose, right? But they still could turn around, sweep the CCIW, and they'll be fine. So obviously, they're not looking to to lose this game. They're looking to get a really, real good test against Wesley. And I don't think we know exactly what we have in this year's Wesley team, if they're really top five or if they're living off their reputation. So, you know, you go out to to Naperville and win, you've earned that top five spot.
1: Oh, wait, there's other games? Yeah, let's. Uh, how about the game that uh, could define the Centennial Conference? Uh, Muhlenberg at Johns Hopkins, uh, Montclair State at Rowan, which I thought was the oldest rivalry in the state of New Jersey, but that might be Montclair State and Trenton State, TCNJ. Uh, let's see. Center at the University of Chicago, Alfred at Ithaca, RPI at WPI, Emory and Henry at East Tennessee State, Knox at Lawrence, Whitworth at Chapman, and that uh, oh, that Trinity at PLU game. Yeah, that's this
2: week. Well, I've already got a preview written up for that one, so. Um, I, I'm I'm excited uh, actually. Alfreda Ithaca again, Empire Eight. Just trying to figure out where the where the chips are going to fall. Maybe we're just used to we like conferences that are nice and easy to figure out. That one isn't. Same deal with uh, with with Montclair State. Can they bounce back or, or is Rowan that good defensively? Um, and then Muhlen, Muhlenberg Johns Hopkins. You know that that's, that's your up maybe your upset watch. Muhlenberg lost a game already early this year, but maybe just the the, the strength of the Centennial is. You know, three or four teams deep and, and not just Johns Hopkins.
1: So we not only have those, there's also five games on Friday night, including Lebanon Valley at Widener, which was moved because of uh, Pope Francis's visit to the Philadelphia area. And the NESCAC gets into action finally in week four with a uh, full slate of five games as well. This was Around the Nation podcast number 134 for the week of September 21st, 2015. Thanks for listening and tune in for the rest of our coverage on D3Football.com throughout the week. If you like our podcast, please consider rating it to help others find it. Thank you very much.